welcome to the Horses in Life podcast. I am back in Kansas City, Missouri. I just had a great trip across the country. I am just getting things back in order here. I had a great time in Springfield, Ohio, as I stopped in there to catch up with an old friend of mine who's a reining horse trainer, and we recorded a podcast interview. You guys will get to hear that coming up at some point later on this year. I also stopped in Fortville, Indiana, just outside of Indianapolis, and met some good people there and had a great clinic. It's always refreshing to meet a new group of people that wants to learn. And I'll tell you, it's especially refreshing for me when I get to meet a young trainer who is trying to make a living in the horse industry and is willing to learn. That is not a real common thing. A lot of people are of the mindset of they get a little following, get a few people interested in what they're doing, get a few checks coming in, and then at that point they are no longer interested in having somebody tell them what to do, having somebody tell them to change what they're doing or think about the habits they've been in. And it's always a meaningful thing to me to see someone who is willing to do those things. And I know it's meaningful for their horses and then obviously for their clients long-term for the betterment of their business. I know how it feels to have a following, have a group of people who are paying you to ride their horses and take them to shows or different events and you're the quote-unquote expert they've chosen. I know how it feels to have those people look up to you and feel like you are doing something good and I also know how it feels to take that group of people who look up to you and go to a clinic or an event and have someone stand up there with the microphone and knock you down a little bit and let everybody in the world that's there watching it feels like everybody in the world let everybody there see all the little details that are pointed out of things that you're doing wrong and why your horses aren't progressing here and why they're not progressing here and why this is an issue and why you won't be able to help this horse if you do this and blah 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 I know how it feels to have that happen and have that experience and I also know how it feels to swallow that pill humble yourself and continue to learn and I have seen a lot of people that were not able to do that at that time They chose the other pill where they sold up a little bit and decided that I don't like being talked to like this and they went on down their merry path. And I know how much benefit that it can do to actually humble yourself and take an objective look at what's going on and see if things are uh, are really working. And I think we talk about that a little bit in this upcoming podcast today, uh, ironically, but It happened this weekend or this past week, and it's just always a good thing for me to see people who are are interested, no matter what discipline it is. It's just about the horses, so glad to see that. So to A.A. Ron and the group that I met in Indiana, keep up the good work and hope to see you again soon. Okay, moving on from there. Back in Kansas City, we have a clinic this weekend, which will be in Kearney, Missouri, a place called Hidden Hollow Equestrian Center. I am familiar with that barn, to say the least. I 
put on a couple of the first events they had at that barn years ago when it was first built. I remember having some conversations with the people that built it before they built it about how they were building it and some specific things there. I haven't been back to the barn for a long time, but last year some friends of mine bought that barn. It's between Kearney and Liberty, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. And so now it's a place where I'll be able to do some clinics, look into the future, and of course they'll probably have a few other things going on as well. So they're getting it cleaned up and kind of fixed up and uh, a little more presentable and trying to get some things back in order while they maintain their own lives and their own businesses as they as they get all this done. So there's a lot going on. I'm excited to be a part of it. Next week, I fly to Austin, Texas, and I've got a clinic near there in Cedar Creek, Texas for a couple of days. A few other things to do while I'm down there. I've got a podcast interview down there as well. I'm going to get some of these podcasts out, just trying to find the time to get them all edited and uh, intros done and pushed out there. So hopefully you guys are ready for more because there'll be some more coming out soon. So today you'll be listening to a conversation that I recorded back in December of 2018 with my old friend Brent Wright. Brent Wright is from Ottawa, Kansas. There's just so many things to say about Brent. I'm not going to be able to capture them all here today. But I want to give you guys an idea of some of the things that have been important about our friendship. It seems like when I first met Brent, everywhere that I went, people were interested in asking me about Brent. When I met him, he was the number one rider in the NRHA. He had just not too long before that finished. He was second at the fraternity, and he had uh, won the Derby, and he'd he just he'd won so many things, had so many nice horses. He kept showing and competing on, and he'd built a business from scratch and just worked himself up to where he was one of the top dogs in the reigning business. He's competed in cutting. And he's an avid roper. And it seemed like everywhere I went, especially the top successful horse trainers that were in the middle of the reigning meccas in the country, around Scottsdale and California and Texas and Florida and up north, it was like everywhere I went they would say, well, tell me about Brent Wright. Because he, Brent, was one of the people that didn't do it the common way. He didn't go about it the way everyone else went about it. He's not in the middle of the big reigning business as far as geographic location. He did it all in Kansas, which is not a reigning hotspot. He did it all riding his own horses, meaning some that he might have owned, but some that he rode himself, the customer's horses without having a lot of assistance and 30 to 50 horses to choose from, he just did it riding 8 to 10 of his own horses or his own customer's horses, saddling his own horses every day, cleaning his own stalls every day, feeding his own horses every night, taking care of his stuff on his own. Now, of course, there's a few days he had some help, but overall, this has kind of been Brent's MO to keep things simple and keep things to where he can manage them and even without that vast number of horses to choose from, he still had such a high level of success that so many people had a great respect for Brent everywhere I went. And I felt more fortunate to be around him the more people I got to be around. 
And I do remember somebody once telling me, I, I went to Scottsdale, Arizona for the winter to ride with some people and some horse trainers. And somebody said, why do you keep going everywhere else? You got the best trainer in the world right there in Kansas. Just stay there and ride with him, you know? And there's definitely some truth to that. So I think the biggest reason was because he didn't have a job for me because he only had eight horses and he rode them all by himself and saddled them all by himself. So what was I going to do if I hung around there? So anyway, a lot of respect for Brent. One of those guys for a long time, I tried to learn to ride like him. And overall, I just try to think sometimes about learning to be like him. Anyway, uh, he and his wife, Jan, were always great to me. Uh, his son, Todd. And then, of course, later I got to know Todd's wife, Catherine. And they've got three boys. And, and I don't get to see all of them as much. But I always appreciate the friendship with all the right family there. One of the big things that I know about Brent that I appreciate is his humbleness and his willingness to learn, which is, you know, seems to be the topic for today. But there were so many times when I would go somewhere for the winter, maybe, and I would come back. And after years of learning from Brent and being a student of Brent's in a way, or an apprentice of Brent's in, in a way, I would maybe come back and Brent would say thing. He'd be riding a horse and he'd say something like, what do you think old Corey would do in this situation? Or what do you think so-and-so would do? And the fact that he was asking me about the people that I'd learned from just recently or the people that I'd ridden with, you know, says a lot about who he is. And even though he was an icon in the reining industry already, he had been one of the million-dollar riders in the NRHA, the National Reining Horse Association. He has uh, been one of the guys that other trainers looked up to for years, yet he maybe would get to a little spot and then he would say, hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think so-and-so would think about this? Anybody that we might have some respect for. I know later as I got to ride with Peter Campbell, and of course that made a huge impact on on my horsemanship and what I do today. Uh, And Brent knew that Peter was such a great horseman because of the things that I've been telling Brent and some of the stuff that I had learned from Peter and I would come back. And Brent was one of those guys I could actually have good conversations with about some of the different things or different stuff I was learning from Peter and the different ways of looking at the horses and, and the way they operate. And, and I always appreciated that. And, uh, the fact that somebody can be that successful and still be open-minded and willing to learn says a lot, but the more successful people you meet, you realize that most of the most successful people are that way. That's how they got that way. That's how they became so successful. So Anyway, I could go on and on about all of my thoughts about how much respect I have for Brent and the things that he does and the things that I learned from him. But instead, I'll let you guys listen to the conversation, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed doing it. But I doubt you will. I bring you Brent Wright. Okay, well, I'm here today in Ottawa, Kansas with my friend Brent Wright. And I just came down and got everything set up here. I hope you guys can hear us good. We're doing the best we can here. And we've got a beautiful day here in Kansas. And, you know, Brent, I was coming down here today and it really brought me a lot of good memories when I used to live just north of Kansas City in Smithville. And I used to drive down here. And then later on when I was living in other places near Kansas City, I used to drive down a lot. But just this trip going down 35, of course, and you're right here on I-35 just south of Kansas City a little ways. But I used to come down here a lot, spend a lot of time, and really, before we even get started, I just want to tell you I thank you for all the 
all the time you have me down here, and here we are in the basement. I stayed here a little while. And, <laughs> yeah, and, you uh, were permanent residence so for a while. I was, I was, I was. So, so Brent, tell us, you know, of course I know you, and some of the listeners here will know you, and some of them won't have a clue who you are. So sure. tell us a little bit about you and kind of what you do and why we're here. Well, we've, like I say, have known Cal for a number of years, but the one thing, one of the few things we had, one of the several things we had in common was we were both into the horses, and I guess that's how we got that's how we got acquainted. Been in the horse horse business for 40, 40 some years, I guess. I'm sixty eight and been well, been in riding horse all my life. But anyway, started doing it professionally when I was probably thirty years old. One thing led to another when we got into showing reining horses and, and that's kind of what's occupied me for the last thirty some odd years. Time flies by. We were just talking. You've got a you've got a son who's about my age, Todd, mm-hmm. who's a good friend of mine and Boy, it's he's got three little boys now, and times of times just been flying by. Life goes by in a hurry. People that think they're going to be here forever, I might ought to check the calendar once in a while. Yeah, that's about right. That's about right. So, Brent, there's there's so many different things that I kind of wanted to visit with you about. I know I talk about you or quote you probably more than you want to know when I'm out there around the world traveling <laughs> and helping people with their horses or, or trying my best to. There's a couple little little quotes that I, I'm going to throw at you here that, you know, hopefully you remember them because I think you were there when you said them. So <laughs> I think one of them was, if he knew how to do it, he'd be doing it. And that's, <laughs> okay. that's something that you threw out there a few times. Many times I heard you say to somebody whenever they would say something to the effect of, well, my horse knows how to do this. He's just not doing it today, you know. <laughs> and you would say something to the effect of, well, if you knew how to do it, he'd be doing it. And I always like that. Yeah. Sounds kind of like a Yogi Bear euphemism. And all. Yeah. I didn't yeah. I didn't steal that one from Yogi. It just <laughs> well, kind of yeah. sounded well, he, good at the time. He's not going to call us anyway, so I'm not too worried about that. You know, another one I, I like you always said, and I, I kind of used it in a way in my book that I quoted you a few times too, but You'd say, somebody sometimes would ask, you know, how come my horse is doing this today? How come he's doing that? And you'd say, you know why he's doing that? Because he's a horse. (laughs) Horses do. Horses tend to do what horses do. Horses do what horses do, yeah. That's something that people, I think, often forget that sometimes we just have to remember that they are a horse and they're going to do what they kind of feel like they ought to do, right? That's right. They respond to us, but they, they, you know, they they are horses and there's certain similarities that are true about all of them. I had a group of people yesterday I worked with and and one of them had a little bitty POA, I mean, just a little horse, just not very big. And then I, there was one lady who had a pretty good size warm blood. One of them had a, a yearling that was a warm blood, and it was going to be a big horse. Most, more than likely, it was going to be a really big horse when it got done growing. And I, one thing I said to him yesterday that I think is really interesting, that, you know, the thing about horses is they, they all operate the same way. You know, I mean, they're all, yeah, they're, they're different. And we got to remember they have personalities, and not all of them are going to be champion rainers, not all of them are going to be champion jumping horses, but they all have four feet. They have eyes on the side. They all think pretty much the same way. They figure out how to survive, and that's pretty much what they do, you know. And that's pretty interesting. That kind of It's kind of the glue that holds all of us together in the horsemanship thing, I think, or in the in the horse world in general. We're all just trying to operate these horses, you know. That's right. They Like you say, they all got a lot of the same characteristics. Some of them are they're different personalities for sure, but they've all got a lot of the similar characteristics, and, and it's up to us to try to deal with them at their, you know, wherever they're at. And they say you don't have to be very smart to train a horse because they're not a very smart animal, but I think you got to be smart enough to be to figure out, you know, what, what works and what, what makes a horse respond and what a horse responds to. Speaking on that, we use the word training or, or working a horse or whatever we want to call it, but what was it that, that helped you learn or that helped you? I mean, where, people are always asking today, especially today, as you know, 
things have, I'll take a little quick sidebar here. Things have changed a lot since you started riding horses. And even since I got into the business, start riding horses, you know, the TV thing, the internet thing, the, the clinic thing is kind of blowing up a lot. And, you know, the horse training, the horse shows and stuff is, is getting more popular in a way, but it's changing too. And it seems like today people are always wanting to know, where'd you learn from, you know, and they, they're looking for a person or two you know, that, that they've heard of, right? But when I ask you that, I know it's, you've told me some stories in the past, but tell us a little bit back to my, kind of where I was going. Where did you learn from? Who did you learn from? How did you figure some of the stuff out that you figured out? Well, I, I kind of went, took the, the long way around when it, when it came to horsemanship, I guess. I, I grew up around horses somewhat. My grandpa, both of my granddads had horses and grew up riding horses and but we didn't have a clue, you know, what, what we were doing. Grandpa on my mom's side, he was, I think, looking back, he was a pretty good horseman. But but we d- didn't know what a horse show was. We never went to a horse show. But we, I mean, he could kind of get one. He could get one's respect, and he could get one that wasn't afraid of him. And, and he he did a lot of stuff with horses that, looking back, I was kind of impressed with. But he was my grandpa, too. But looking back, I didn't, didn't ever go to work for anybody because at, whenever I started out riding colts for other people, I was, I had a, farm to pay for and other responsibilities and so i couldn't just go work for somebody which would be a more recommended way of learning something so i i ended up a lot of trial and error you know i just rode a lot of colts and did a lot of dumb things i'm sure but you live and learn and you find out what what works and what doesn't work and you just kind of start keeping a little bag of tricks and you throw some in and throw some out and what you know you're always trying to get better and i'm like I say, I'm 68, and I'm st- I'm still trying to get better at what I do, but with a horse and trying to be to listen to the horse a little more. And they tell you if we're doing something right or not. And, and so I think your question was, who did I learn from? I I guess I started out, you know, just roping and 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 stuff. And I'd go to a lot of quarter horse shows where they had judged roping, and and I'd enter those. And I watched a lot of people back then. They did a lot of all around stuff, and and they were showing these rope horses in the they even showed some in the halter, but they were showing them in the rain and then the cow horse, and they were showing them in the roping. I watched everybody pretty close then. And then I, later on, I got to go into some rainings. I, I was probably close to 40 years old before I went to an NRHA raining. I guess I've always been a pretty good observer, and I watched a lot of a lot of guys there and went home and tried this and that and seen what works. So that's something that you know I've always appreciated about you, and I kind of jotted down a few things here. As I was driving, well, not as I was driving, that'd be unsafe. No, I don't you do know, that. Well, I had a stoplight or something <laughs> on my way here. I would kind of stop and make, made a few quick notes here of things I wanted to kind of make sure and mention. Of course, one thing that you said there that a lot of people say those words, but I know you well enough to know that you mean it. And I know you've proven that to me and the people that have known you over the years is the fact that you are still wanting to learn and you are still humble about changing things, trying this, trying that. And, and you're the first one to say also that, you know, sometimes people would try to give you a an answer on working a horse as if to say, oh, you have to do it. Here's step one, step two, step three, step four. And then yeah, I remember with you sometimes, you well, you just got to try this and try that. You know, it's just kind of, you, know, you got a little trial and error. If that doesn't work, try it again, you know. And there's a lot of things there. But I know that some of that humility is something that I've always appreciated about about you that I've tried to kind of keep. And it's pretty easy to be on top of an animal and you kind of get control of them for a minute and you kind of think you're doing something. You <laughs> know, you're then, doing something right. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you don't have control of them. It can come apart so quick. <laughs> so quick it does happen it can happen so fast i told a lady just the other day she was asking about 
she's wanting to get it maybe a young horse and start it the right way on her own of course mm-hmm. and you know and it's the thing we've always heard and i grew up with the horse and learn, up, learn with the horse <laughs> learn yeah. together and all that and i said you know things happen so fast and especially on those young ones i mean they they think so fast they move so fast and man it's not a job for everybody that that wants it you know there's definitely a certain amount of danger involved you bet. in a lot of things but you horses bet. you can get in trouble in a hurry right 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 so you were telling me a little bit about the first time you went to the fraternity. Mm-hmm. Was it, where was it the first time you went? It was in Oklahoma it, City. It, just, it was, that was in 1988. 88. It just uh-huh. moved to Oklahoma City. Not it too it moved to Oklahoma right? City in 86. 86, uh-huh. yeah. And the first, first year I went was 88 and I hadn't, had never gone to watch even I just had a three-year-old and I took her down there to shore. What horse was that? Her name was Sailor's Dance. Sailor's and she Dance, was a top yeah. sale Cody mare. She was a nice mare too. And I, w- I went into the my first go around, I was a little, you can't imagine this, but I was a little bit nervous. <laughs> People paid a big entry fee, and, and, and I did. She was a nice horse, I, and I kind of had her halfway ready, I thought. But I went in there and spun five times first in the first go. And so folks that don't know, if I, you know, there's four spins. If you go five times, you're, you're done, right? You're zero right off the bat. So anyway, my first, first trip to the fraternity didn't go so well. Well, that's probably the story for most people. Their first yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't the first one that ever happened to. <laughs> yeah. I felt like it at the time. Yeah, I can imagine that too. I've been there, of course, spun five times. I know you were there one time when I did. Yeah, I saw you. Yep, yep. But, you know, things like that happen. Yeah, and and I know it made me feel better when you, not that you told me you did it in 1988, but when I saw you and other people that are also very successful in the rain, I saw them do it the next year, right? right. People like it's, that. I mean, because it's one of those things. In other words, just happens. those mistakes and those kind of things yeah. and when you're showing and that kind of stuff goes along with it. So while we're on that topic real quick, I jotted down a few names and you might have to remind me, but I know there's some people out there that are familiar with you and there's some that aren't. And there's people that are interested in the raining probably today that, you know, there's a lot of nice horses you've ridden over the years that in today's world, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this and you might disagree or not, but in today's world, it, is, it seems to be so much about and you and I've had conversations about this before, just from kind of from me starting out versus kind of where you were. But it, it seems to be so much about promoting oneself in this business and and in the in the reining business, especially and in the, just in the horse business in general. And it feels like today I might see some one person have a nice horse that makes a good run, has a nice final run or something one year, and it seems like they do their best to tie their name to that horse for the next decade. Whereas I feel like with you, and some of it is when I met you versus when your career, you know, your timeline there. But I feel like with you, there's been so many really nice horses that you had a big hand in, maybe trained them from the beginning or showed them for a while. And that, you know, not everybody knows they're associated with you so much, you know. And I think a lot of that goes back to the fact that you, I know you did some advertising at different times here and there, but I know you never were that, you know, look at me, look at me type of thing, you know. Well, to a fault probably because... I have not advertised as much as I should have, probably just because too tight to spend the money for one thing. But <laughs> but, but uh, I don't know. I just never never was that great of a promoter, and and I'm not saying that's a good thing because right. anybody that's in this business, you need to promote yourself a little bit. You got if people don't know you're there, or don't know you exist, it's hard to get any business. But you know, I guess I've always been more interested in training the horse and showing the horse than I was in. Talking about it, uh, yeah, I guess yeah, so. Yeah. I guess that's and not to say anything say. about guys that are pr- good promoters. No, that's just no, how it is. my hats off to them. Yeah, you bet, you bet. Yeah. So you rode a horse named Custom Mahogany, Custom Redberry, Custom Pistol, Custom Legend. When I met you, you had a horse named Miss Rayo Shine. You had a horse named Yellow Jersey, and then Wimpy's Redberry, Shiner's Voodoo Doctor. You had a part in that. And I know there's some more I'm missing. Those are just what I was driving. I kind of jotted those down. 
Yeah, I've thought about that. I thought about some of those horses. I feel like God really blessed me with some nice horses. I mean, some really talented horses that I'd like to see come through the door again. That's right. But there were some great horses in those ones you just named, and I'm not saying I got all the all of them out of that I won all they could have won, but but boy, they were good to me. And and for the most part, I'm not saying they were self made horses, but they were easier to train than a lot of a lot of the stuff we get a hold of. Nice horses, and and as, there's no. I tell people today, there's no substitute for a good horse. It's yeah. just they're just there just isn't. Yeah, you said once to me about about horses or, or trainers. You kind of said, you know, horse trainers get away too much credit for a great horse and take away too much blame for a bad one. I think that's I think now, that's really true. That just being said, not that I know you and I know what we mean when we say a bad horse, and I, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of of the mindset there aren't necessarily bad horses out there, but as far as for the reigning competition. There are bad horses as far as they're not going to be competitive. They're just, yeah. They just don't have that type of ability. Or for the jumping, for example, if you're interested in jumping horses, this particular horse is just a bad horse for that sport because he doesn't want to jump, right? So right. that kind of stuff. Right? It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean that. And I, to me, a bad horse is a bad-minded horse. It doesn't want to get along with you. That just has a kind of an ill attitude about everything you try to do. And I've had some nice horses that didn't make rainers but made nice horses to ride and, and kind of wanted to – do what you wanted them to do or try to try to get along with you and didn't get mad every time you bumped them in the belly and i can deal with those kind but the ones that just don't want to play at all at, at any event you know i i guess i'm kind of where's ready out. to wait wait bye bye them. yeah yeah for sure so how do you keep a positive attitude over over time working with horses working with the public working with people i know it can be a little trying at times it's easy to get frustrated in general and I know a lot of trainers that I was around at times, or my friends still, some of them, they just couldn't quite handle the, seems like they were mad at their horses half the time. And they were mad at the people the other half the time. And so tell us some some tricks on keeping that going. You know, I'll get a little irritated sometimes when the horses, horses aren't working out. Or, but I try to keep the, you know, the end of the horizon in, in line. And I'm thankful that I can do this every day. I'm thankful that the Lord's blessed me with, ability to do what I what I want to do and and to enjoy life and and you know I look at a lot of people that have to go to work eight to five every morning and hate every day of it I'm just thankful that you know I can go take care of my horses and and ride and have fun and as far as the people that I deal with very fortunate there too I've had a lot of good a lot of good people to, a lot of good customers that, that have really been over backwards to you know help me get a hold of a nice horse or to help me to do this or that 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 you really appreciate and some people that you know have been a little tougher to get along with but that's, i think any business you're in you're going to have that but i think having a thankful attitude is the secret to getting by a lot of frustration if we realize that boy you look at a lot you don't have to look very far to see people that are a lot having a lot more struggle than i am for sure for sure so you go to a show for example and you win and you come home, and then maybe the next time you go to a show, you don't win, and you still come home, and really nothing changes that much. No. I mean, of course, when you win, there's there's a possibility for a check, and so there's some recognition, and then there's a little bit of change in a way, but life goes on, right? It's not not, not life-changing. and No, I, I don't remember coming home after not doing well and miss, missing very many meals. Right. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I know you and I have talked about sports in the past and I, I used to coach high school wrestling and I remember t saying to some of the kids that would be kind of nervous or they'd be upset or they'd put too much pressure on themselves. And these are just high school kids, of course. And I'd, sometimes I'd say, you know, if, if you win this match, what are you going to do afterwards? And they'd say, well, you know, I'll probably go home, have something to eat because I've been kind of cutting weight. So now I'm ready to eat for a night. And then I go home and go to bed. 
I'm like, okay, well, if you lose this match, what are you going to do? You know, well, I'm going to go home and eat and I'm going to go to bed. Okay, so really nothing changes, right? So what are you worried about? Uh, just go do it. Like Sean Flair said one time, in the horse deal, the highest people make the highs way too high and the lows way too low because, you know, not, not, none of that should change your life any. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the middle. Unless, the only thing that ought to change is make you a little smarter maybe. Right, right, maybe, maybe. Not maybe. Everybody. I know it took a lot for me to learn some of these things, but on the competition part of it, I know one time you kind of said to me, we were actually talking about sports, not necessarily raining at that time. And you said something to the effect of if it, about we are watching professional sports or college sports. And you said something to the effect of if it ruins your day, you're too big a fan. <laughs> yeah. And I, I liked that one. And, and, you know, that's coming from a guy that was pretty competitive, even as an athlete too, growing up. I was competitive. And I backing up a little bit on what I said about coming home and being upset if you didn't do well at the horse show. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been pretty competitive about things. And I used to, when my horse show didn't go well, I used to beat myself up some too. I used to get in, kind of get in the dumps. But then, but then I, I finally figured out that what did it really change in my life when I didn't do well? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, that's that seems to be a pretty big statement, I think, and it's true. Tells you were in, in college, you were an All-American athlete. So, you know, some of these stories, <laughs> they, get, they get better with the telling. They get better with the telling. Yeah, well, the, way the I older it, I get, the better I was. The way I tell it, that's the deal. So, okay, but you were was, you were a successful athlete I, at Baker. I, I, yeah, I played football and track at, at Baker. And, yeah, I guess I was at a nice career. I, it, we had a lot of fun. I had some good teammates. We had a lot of fun playing Somebody football. wrote an article about you in the Rainer at some point that said you were an All-American football player, well, just so you know. I, I don't think I ever told him that. I, <laughs> maybe I let him believe that. <laughs> Well, you know, what was it in NAI? Yeah, like my grandpa used to say, "Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story." Yeah, exactly. I like that for sure. So, tell me a little bit about, you know, of course, you you helped me, you 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 taught me, and I like. There's another guy that I learned from that used to say, "I can't teach you anything, but you can learn if you want to." You know, but tell me a little bit about your your ideas or your thoughts on teaching other people horse stuff. And, and I know there's we just kind of were talking a minute ago as we were setting things up about. You're not really into babysitting people, and it seems like in the horse show world, there's a lot of that that goes on with the trainers and the non-pros and the and the people, and and I know that's not really one of your things. I think that's good for people, but go ahead. Well, yeah, it, I have people come and take lessons. You know, and I'm glad to help them if I can, but as far as telling them every move to make, I can't do that. They, they've got to they've got to develop some feel of their own, and you know, you just got to figure things out a little bit on your own. Until you're ready to learn something, it, the light that probably doesn't flip on until you feel it on a horse. And then when that happens, you oh, yeah, that's what he was talking about. But the learning curve, I think, uh, with horsemanship is probably pretty slow compared to a lot of other things. It just takes a long time to, to really maybe figure out what a horse is thinking and what makes him react the way he does and what makes him respond to do what we want him to do. And, and I think that's a process. And nobody's just going to take you out in, in three or four lessons and tell you how to do that. No, it doesn't work that way. Now, I know that's exactly how it felt for me. I felt like it was slow coming for me, and, and I'd come down, and, of course, I learned from a lot of people, but you were a big a big staple there for a long time, especially when I was working on the raining pretty hard. And your program, I guess, is the way to say it, is not the norm out there for the raining, and I think for good reason, and I think there's a lot of good things that I got from learning from you. And I know there was times when I wasn't around, let's say I, I spent a few winters in Arizona, and other places, I remember one winter I called you and I hadn't seen you for four or five months. And I said, hey, I, I just figured this deal out that you've been showing me for a while and I just got it, you know, and I've been watching you do it for years, you know. And it felt like years I've been kind of watching that little piece there. Where, and, you know, that's how, kind of how it goes. In your defense, 
you you caught on to a lot of things pretty quick. I, I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel smart or anything. It's very true that you don't learn at the time you're being taught. You learn, you know, it's got to soak in and it's got to be an experience thing where you one day you you do something that you'd heard a while back maybe or seen seen somebody else do and then you think, oh man, that that does kind of work. But once again, in your defense, you, you, you caught on quicker than a lot of people I've been around and you learned more horsemanship in three or four years than, than I did. It was floundering around on my own in 15 years, so I so don't be too hard on yourself there. Well, I, I appreciate that compliment, but I also know that I was able to learn, you know, through you from the mistakes you made in those 10 to 15 years, of course, and then you were able to kind of bypass some of that, you know. I know you've said things like, I've tried that, but here's probably what's better. <laughs> if you can learn by somebody else's mistakes, you're going, to be, you're going to be way ahead of the game, and I've seen people do stuff that didn't work for me 25 years ago, and it ain't going to work now. <laughs> right, right. And I know there's other people I've learned from as well, and I know one good quote I like that's similar to something you always said. It's like, you know, that, that didn't work for them 20 years ago, and it's still not working for them. Yeah. But they're still doing it. They're <laughs> still doing the same thing. And I think a lot of the reason people still do the same thing is because that's what they're comfortable with as a person. You know, their, their comfort zone is pretty set, and they don't want to get yeah. out of that and try something different. Yeah, our comfort zone and the horse's comfort zone is a little bit different, and I constantly have to tell myself, turn loose to that horse and turn loose, turn loose, and let him get let him get in a little bit of trouble before you be so quick to correct him. And same with people. you got to let them give some people enough rope to hang themselves, and then they start to learn, and, and it's just the same way with horses and people, I think. It is, and of course, you know, you probably don't even – you don't know this, or maybe I mentioned it earlier, but I just asked you to come by and I was going to interview you. You said, sure, whatever. But what we're doing here is that the podcast is called Horses and Life. And I kind of say the emphasis is on life here. And and as you know, it is a pretty good correlation for that. And of course, whatever somebody does as a profession, you could easily correlate that to life if you want to, you know, if you're the type of person that can kind of watch and learn something. And but I think there's a lot to do with the things that we're talking about. Be taking an objective look at what you're doing with the horses, you know, and, and being able to be objective about, is this working? Like, is what I'm doing effective or am I just tricking myself into thinking it's effective and then blaming it on the horse when it's not? You know, and that seems to be something that's pretty common out there. I'm sure that's true. You know, we, we usually blame ourselves last and it's got to be the horse or it's got to be my equipment or something else. But yeah, I think it's true. And Sometimes we don't catch on too quick. What's really the important? What's really important? What, what are we trying to accomplish while we're here? Sure, sure, sure. So I asked you here a minute ago when we took a break about Tug. I hadn't seen him since I've been here today, and and I remember one time one of my favorite Brent Wright quotes was, "I was staying the night here, and I used to come down. Well, I started out I would come down on a Tuesday a lot in the summer, and I would drive down, bring a little trailer load of horses, get some help from you, and I'd stay a night." And then I'd leave, and then pretty soon I just didn't leave, you know. And you were, <laughs> you and Jan were pretty good to me about it, and fed me and took care of me, and and then I stayed in the basement. And then we made it official for a while. And I stayed here, and then, then there for a while. You were gone for a summer, and I stayed here. Right. But anyway, back. No, I, we enjoyed having you. It was fun. Well, I appreciate. It. I get off on tangents there sometimes, but one time I remember I was here, and, and Tug, your little dog, you can tell us about him in a minute, but. He was barking a lot that night. I don't know. Something was on his mind. <laughs> yeah. He was outside yipping and yapping all night long. And I and I was down here, and I could hear him out the window, and I thought, oh, man, I, I never heard that dog bark that much. And he just barked and barked. Well, the next morning, you and I got up. Out, We went out early before daylight. We went out in the dark and did chores, fed the horses, came back inside, and Tug was laying there sleeping on the 
little rug, a little carpet right by the door. And you just kind of, you didn't kick him, but you just kind of put your foot against him and nudged him over till he woke up. And you said, if you're going to bark all night, you're not going to sleep all night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You forgot. might not remember forgot, that. Forgotten about yeah, that. I kind of <laughs> like that one. There's yeah. a lot that can be, that you can draw a lot from that yeah. statement. Right? Yeah. If you got a teenager that wants to stay out all hours, you make him work hard the next day. Yeah. But anyway, tell us about your little dog. I haven't seen him for a while. Tug, he's, I think he's 91 years old in, in human mm -hmm. years. He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's 13 now or so, but oh, he's a Boston, Boston Terrier. He's not good for much, but he's been a good dog to have around for the most time until he keeps you up and I barking. Yeah, you had a little scare with him a few years back down there when you were an extra yeah, corner horse yeah. one day. I remember that. There was a, a stud horse got a hold of him one day and just broke his jaw in three places and Twelve hundred dollars later, though, we got him fixed. We got him up, jaw wired shut. And, I remember, and he, the, he, I remember the story about you and Jan walking <laughs> to the vet. <laughs> yeah, it said something to the effect of, "Well, what, what if he? Are we going to do?" Then Jan, yes, yes, uh, yeah. said, okay, then yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, do we want to? Do we want to resuscitate this dog? And and Jan said, "Yes." <laughs> and I said, "Wait, wait a minute. What are we talking about here?" <laughs> Jan said, "Brent, don't ask any questions. Just say yes, okay." Speaking of which, we haven't really mentioned a whole lot yet. We she was obviously on the list here, but tell us about Jan. You and Jan have been married for what ten years? How long? Yeah, a little longer. <laughs> for about I think it's forty-seven years. Forty-seven years. Forty-eight is in seventy-one. So I guess that's 40, forty-seven. You years. you met in college? We did. Well, actually, my brother was her preacher down at a little town in Blue Mountain, Kansas, and I I'd go down there and spend the weekend once in a while, and I saw her at church there, and she kind of caught my eye, and and then we didn't have much to do with each other for another year after that and then we started going together and a little bit and one thing led to another and we ended up married after a while you'd go to blue mountain and if you had time you'd see your brother too yes right. That's, uh, right that's how that works that's right i quit seeing my brother yeah i see i see well good so i know that you know like i said i i lived here for a while and and jan was always we had a lot of good good times here and i know jan always kept good food on the table for me when i was here yeah except for the chow mein so i remember one day <laughs> i knew that was going to come up one day <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know Cal, he can be a little picky. <laughs> he can be a little not, picky. Maybe. But anyway, we had this chow mein one day, and I, I'm not a big fan either, but it's what we had. I eat, you know, whatever she puts in front of me usually. Mm -hmm. And I noticed Cal, he wasn't, he wasn't partaking very well over there. And finally, he, he put something in his mouth, and I thought he was going to gag. <laughs> he he did. He was he got... He got choked up. Thought yeah. he was gonna. Thought he was gonna get the wastebasket. You know, point. it was one of those things where I'm thinking, okay, Cal, you you talk to yourself for a minute. You think, okay, you're you're twenty something years old. Twenty. I don't know how old I was at the time. Probably close to thirty. And you think, you know, you can do this. Just eat it. You know, it's not a big deal. <laughs> and, then, and I'll tell you what, the best thing of the deal was Brent not letting me not letting me go on. I said, I, I got it down, and Brent said, what, what's wrong with you, boy? And I said, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. He goes, no, you just about, you didn't make it. You thought you were going <laughs> to I thought he was going to lose Wolfie's cookies right oh, there. Oh, gosh, and Jan was trying to be all nice about it. Well, if you don't want it, you can have some of us. I said, no, 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 I'm fine. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, but that's not what I was. I was talking for real about all the great food we had here, and she was always well. She's pretty, pretty good cook. But and besides that, she's always pretty positive to be around. I enjoyed it for sure. She's, she's always been the encourager of the bunch. She's, you, bet. you know, if you, you get bet. a little discouraged, she can kind of boot, boot, boot you up a little. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, I miss you guys and being around here for sure. I look around here in the basement a little bit, and I see a lot of. There's a lot of trophies. There's a lot of plaques. There's a lot of pictures, different things, and I know that. Jan being proud 
of what you and her have done together is a big part of why all this stuff is here. Because I know for you, and I don't want to speak for you, but I know you're, you're okay without as much of this stuff sitting around probably some yeah. places. Well, I, I, you know, it does bring back a lot of memories. Though. I, sure. I, I'm glad she's kept track of it all because it, it does bring back a lot of good memories. You bet. A lot of good family times and a lot of good horses. Yeah, and when, whenever this is your your livelihood and when this is what you do for a living, then the more you look around, that's you kind of remember the kids and the grandkids now, of course, based on horses and years. And, oh, that was the year I had this horse. Or what I know the horse trainers yeah, I've yeah, been around have a lot of that. You know, Yeah, it, it is a, a mile marker. For sure. So one of the things that I always thought was really, I'm kind of just looking at my list here real quick. I don't want to forget anything. I'm enjoying the conversation, but I know there's a few things I wanted to hit on and we get to talk and sometimes I might forget them. But one of the things I mentioned earlier, just about your humility in general, and you're always able to laugh at yourself. I don't always have as good a quality on that. And I work on it all the time, but I think that's some of the most memorable things that I have about you and I's relationship is some of those times, because you, especially when I met you, just to kind of give people a little bit of a, a heads up, you were just... I think you had basically just, you know, maybe you, in a way you could say, come off of of being the kind of the number one leading money earner in the NRHA for a few years, and and in at that time you were, you know, you were one of the big dogs that that had to be beat if you were going to do anything out there, and and you were a success in in that arena by far. Al Dunning, a friend of ours that you and I know, that's in a way, even though you and I are close to each other, and Al's way out in Arizona. When I first talked to Al a little bit, I wanted to learn about reining. I didn't know anything about it. And he kind of said to me, well, you need to look up Brent Wright. He's the best reiner in America. Well, it's been 12 years now, probably, give or take. And and whenever I first met you, I, I guess, I'm trying to remember when that was. Oh, Somewhere it's been longer than that. I, uh, let's see. It's probably, memories. what is today? Yeah, you're right. It's probably been 15 years. I bet. I bet. Because I, I got out of college in 05. I remember you and your brothers came down one day. It's the first time, I think, uh-huh. the first time I met you, but that, that's been a long time ago. Yeah, that was the first time I ever came. We, you, you, the Kansas Rain Horse Association had a little yeah, get a fun show here, here that mm-hmm. day, and I brought a horse down, mm-hmm. showed in it. My brother rode along with me. But Anyway, one of the things that I always appreciated was that you were, you know, you were this larger-than-life kind of person that was one of the top trainers in the world, but then on the other hand, you could laugh at yourself pretty quick, and then we'd go into Burger King, and you'd run into an old friend from around here, and he'd say, hey, Brent, what are you doing? Are you still riding horses these days? <laughs> Had no clue that other people in the world looked at you as, like, the best horse trainer, and it was kind of funny, but you were always kind of, you'd say to him, oh, yeah, I still ride a few when I can, you know, and just kind of, you know, just real nonchalant about it, and I always kind of liked that, but that was good. Well, you didn't want to wear your spurs down around here, because somebody's always going to make some, some crack about them. Always. And, oh, you pick up a little draggy today, or <laughs> yeah, you got to use your spurs to get them going. Well, it's almost that way with cowboy hats. Some places you go, you know, you wear a hat and some people, oh, oh are you from Texas? You know, you just want to go, would you just, just let me eat my cheeseburger. You know, <laughs> can yeah. I just eat it? It's yeah. just what I had on. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's kind of funny. So I remember it always did a little bit of good for me to see something. And I don't want to, this might, I know you're going to understand a lot of people might not, they might think it sounds a little rude, but it made me feel good to see something here that wasn't working out real good. Yeah, you like to see other guys screw up you know, Because yeah. I, I would do that at home all day, every day, and then I'd come here and everything was just real smooth and horses were great, and then I'd come back and they'd be great, and then I'd come back and all of a sudden something was not working for <laughs> oh, me. Yeah. And it was like, oh, <laughs> whew, you know, I'm doing okay, you know. Uh, yeah, he was around here enough to know I had a lot of those kind of days. But, <laughs> we had some of those uh, days. So can I tell the four-wheeler story? Yeah, oh, yeah. You remember I knew the four-wheeler you were going story? Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're, you were helping me rope a little bit, and we were kind 
kind of working on some team roping and you had a little and hot heels hot heels you were dragging with the four wheeler you got a great big arena by the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, makes a huge, even worse. it's a huge arena makes the story even worse so brent's dragging the hot heels with the four wheeler and he's looking back at me and i'm on this appaloosa horse that i showed a little bit <laughs> yeah. in the cow horse in the rainy and i'm roping that dummy and i kind of got it or the hot heels as it's moving and i finally get the rope swung pretty good just flat stopped the horse everything was smooth brent's looking back at me like hey there you go and i looked up <laughs> and just about the time i made eye contact with brent it was too late he hit the wall of that arena and I'm telling you what, his glasses <laughs> went one way, his hat went the other way. He jumped off that thing so fast, and he comes back, and he goes, well, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of shook me up. I was clipping along pretty good. I, I wasn't wall. going fast, but it, when you hit a solid wall, it, it feels like you're going pretty fast. Yeah, just just to give you a little understanding here, we were loping when I was roping yeah, that. We weren't, yeah. we weren't walking. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, those uh, are the, yeah. those are the kind of times when you're you're you know, and I've been in situations similar to that where somebody right then jumps off the four wheeler, starts cussing at somebody, starts yelling, starts throwing <laughs> stuff because, and you've been around it, you've seen them, you know, and there's been days we've all been the opposite. But you know, I always appreciate that that you're able to just kind of oh shoot, what was I thinking there, and then just go on with your day. You know? <laughs> yeah, I try to straighten my handlebars. Up. Straighten the handlebars. Up. Are they still bent a little bit, <laughs> yeah, or do you yeah, have a new no, one? I got. I swapped that and off. Swapped them out. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I remember that like it was yesterday. No, oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff. So if there was somebody that you were able to visit with, let's say you, you could kind of pick somebody, whether it was somebody that was famous or, or not famous or whether they were dead or whether they were alive, if there's somebody that you were able to just sit down and have a conversation with, have dinner with them, just somebody that you'd like to pick their brain a little bit. You got anybody in mind? Boy, that's a hard question, Cal. Been so many people that. You know what, I, Billy Graham comes to my mind, and you probably wonder why, but I guess I had a lot of respect for that man, and, and of course I heard a lot of his messages and that. And then I, I watched his funeral on TV. You know, what, what your neighbors and friends say about you really speaks volumes. I just thought, well, he was a genuine Christian, you know. So, yeah, I guess I'd have yeah, Billy Graham off the top of my head. I mean, there's a lot of others that would come to mind if I thought about it a while, I'm sure. But I remember when I was putting my book together, I wanted to quote you in it a little bit, you know, I wanted to, you know, and, and there's some other people that I learned from, but, but you were a big staple for a long time for me and you still are, but I mean, you know, Appreciate so far, that. I mean, lately I'm not working on the raining mm. as much as you, mm. as you kind of know, or maybe you don't know, but you haven't seen me at many shows lately. I know that. And I just, I've been kind of focusing on traveling a little more, teaching a little more, doing the clinics, a little more practical stuff. And I really enjoy that. But I remember when I was putting my book together and I called you up and I said, Hey, I'm going to quote you a little bit. And you said, oh, sure, whatever. And, and so then I called you back when I was kind of getting ready to do the final editing. And I wanted to read you a couple of the quotes that I'd put in there and make sure they were okay with you. By the way, the people that didn't call me back, I just did it anyway. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just so you know, yeah. but you called me back. So you got, you, know, you mm -hmm. got permission. So I read it off to you and you said, are you sure I said that? <laughs> did I really say that? <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, yeah, you said that. You said, oh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> I said, well, I might have flowered it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 that sounds like you, you know, yeah. something like that. But anyway, then here's what you said. And there's, there's two, there's a funny part. The punchline here is kind of funny. But the, the first thing you said was, well, I, I look forward to reading this book. Can't wait till it comes out. And just the fact that I, you know, you were one of the people that I look up to and, and always have, and the fact that you were humble enough and, and interested enough to say, hey, I'm interested in reading your book. That said no, a lot to me. Good. It was a good book. I enjoyed it. I and well, I appreciate that. And so I said to you, I said, well, Brent, me and you might be the only one to read it. And you said, no, no, your mom will read it too, I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Guaranteed. You're always Guaranteed. pretty quick to be able to come back with something like that. I always kind of like that. There was a time once when I was telling you, about, I don't know, we were swapping jokes back and forth. And most of them, I think we could say on here, you know, but 
but I said something about, oh, I used to go visit my grandparents and, and I could tell the same joke every time and they just laughed. They didn't know, that, you know, because they were, you know, and then, yeah. and then you said to me, yeah, but then you left and they said, oh, we worry about that boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, always, yeah. I always tell that one to people. Kind of young to be repeating himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were just being nice laughing probably all the time. So anyway, so listen, Ren, I think we're going to, we're going to kind of wrap up here. I really appreciate your time. It's been good talking to you, Cal. What I'm going to do, I'm going to just give you the last word here. And if there's a group of people standing over here and it doesn't really matter their age, but let's just pretend they're younger than you, my age, or maybe even younger than me, the next generation. And and you had some, some, a few little pieces, maybe just, maybe about horses, that's fine, or horse business, but maybe just about life in general. What would some of the last things you would want to say to them be? A little bit of, little bit of advice on life. Well, I guess my best advice on life would be look to the Lord, you know, because none of us are going to get out of this alive. We're all going to stand before Him one of these days, and, and it's only going to matter what, you know, our relationship with Christ is, is the, the most important thing in my life. And I, th- I know that's the only thing that's going to last. And so I say focus our life on Him, and, and the other stuff pretty much takes care of itself. And I mean, we're still supposed to work hard, make a living, and treat other people right. But our relationship with Him is what's important. Good. Well, I appreciate your time, and I look forward to seeing you again sometime. Been good talking to you, Cal. You bet. If you're enjoying the Horses and Life podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can obviously tell people about it. You can tell your friends about it. You can share it through social media or any other means. You can go to patreon.com and support it financially. There's a little more information on my website about the podcast. Also on my website, calmiddleton.com. Please be sure you sign up for my monthly newsletters through my email subscription list. Until next time, enjoy each day. Enjoy each day.